The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Great to hear those wonderful welcomes. I hope you'll continue that after the service, get to know somebody. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, great to start off the new year with a fresh new teaching series. Today we start a new teaching series. Um, and uh, it's, here's the title of this new teaching series. It's called, Everyone a Theologian a series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, that's the title. That is the title. And for my introduction to this series, I just want to focus on that title. And, and here we're going we're to talk about a couple things, about where we're going in the series, what, what we hope to, to learn. Two things about the title and the series. There's something true, very true about this title and series that doesn't seem to be very true. And there's something that doesn't seem to be true about the series and title that is, in fact, very true. Y'all confused yet? What is this series on? Confusion? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So let, let, me, let me explain this. There is something not true about this series that seems to be true. It appears to be true. And here is it. We're, it says a series on the Apostles' Creed. We're actually not preaching through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we're actually preaching through the Scriptures. We're preaching through the Bible like we do every week. We go to God's Word uh, and, and, and learn from it. Uh, we won't be preaching any of the Apostles' the Creed. Uh, a creed is a statement. It's a statement of belief. It describes certain foundational truths. A creed can be anything um, that, that, that literally, it literally means to put one's heart. A creed means to, it's an overflow of the heart. Um, it's a conf- and a confession of the mouth of what the heart feels and believes to be true. So the point of a creed uh, is to point to something else. A creed is to point to something with authority and with substance um, that overflows out of the heart and is confessed with the mouth. Uh, even saying, well, I don't really, I don't, I don't believe in creeds. That is a creed. Uh, that is a statement of belief. It is something that you believe to be true, that you're confessing with your mouth. Um, and so that's what a creed is. The Apostles' Creed is likely the most uh, concise summary of foundational Christian beliefs. It's been used for centuries uh, by Christians all over the world as a summary of, of what do Christians believe? What does the Bible teach? Uh, some of you know the Apostles' Creed very well. You were, you were, maybe you were raised uh, in a church where you recited the Apostles' Creed every single Sunday. Uh, like, like I grew up every, every Monday in public school uh, reciting uh, the, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, to the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? With your hand on your heart and your body poised uh, towards the American flag. I knew that. I recited it. I still know it to this day. It's something that was a habit that I rehearsed and that I confessed with my mouth. But I didn't know, that, I didn't know what it meant. I mean, I didn't even know what a republic was, and I was so confused. Of, uh, I thought what it meant to be indivisible was that you couldn't see it. Like, why would, how do you, what does this even mean? You know, as a seven-year-old, and, and just recently figured out that's not what, the, what it means. Uh, no, so what is, the creed can be like that. Any creed, really. Anything we confess, it can feel wrote. It could feel wooden. It can feel just words that we're saying. Uh, but for some of you, the Apostles' Creed is not familiar. You don't even know what I'm talking about yet, but you will in a moment. Uh, you're not familiar with what is in it. You don't know what's in it. You've never, you've never heard it. But for both kinds of people who are here today, whether it's something familiar and warm to you, or maybe it's something foreign, uh, unknown, uh, and maybe even comes, comes across as something you're not interested in and you don't think is going to be really exciting. Uh, this series is, is for you. It's for both of us. Um, it, because, and I want, for both of you, I want you to see it as this way. The Apostle Creed is, 
is an echo. It's an echo of God's word. And you know what an echo is. You, you shout into a canyon and, and the sound comes back. You, you shout into the hollow walls of an abandoned warehouse and the voice echoes back into your ears. But there's no authority in that echo. Uh, none of us would, would, would shout into a mountainside and hear the voice come back and think that the mountains are speaking to us. Uh, unless, there's, unless there's something wrong with us, right? So there's no authority with it. There's no substance in that. It's merely, it's a representation of something. It's pointing to something that holds the authority. It's pointing to the voice. And that's why we're not preaching through the Apostles' Creed, but we're going to the voice itself. We're going to the voice of God. We're going to the Word of God that is inspired, that, that does have authority for us, that is living and active. The Apostles' Creed doesn't speak to us today. It's not a living document. It's not the inspired Word of God, and yet it's, it can be very, very helpful for us, and it, and it will be helpful. It's helpful for us as it points us to the foundational teachings of Christ and his apostles in God's Word in memorable ways. And if the teaching of uh, the, and concepts of the Bible, if you're a kind of person, you come to the Scriptures and you feel overwhelmed, this is a series for you. If you come and you're like, I know, I, I know certain things and I'm learning and I'm growing, but, but honestly, I come to it and I feel lost. I feel swallowed up by, by its complexities. This series is for you. Maybe you're very familiar with the scriptures. You, are, you, you see yourself as someone very learned in the scriptures. You, you study it. You read commentaries and books on the Bible. Um, you listen to podcasts and, and it's, it's a hobby and a passion of yours. This series is also for you. Because what the Apostles' Creed does is it points to God's Word. It, it reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and not just in, 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 in a belief of the mind, uh, but these things that actually transform our lives, that fill our hearts, and are lived out in a life of praise and thanksgiving to God. I was encouraged by the explanation on creeds by Bible teacher and author Amy Bird, where she writes in her book, The historic creeds are gifts to us. We don't have to be overwhelmed when we go to God's word as if it just dropped from heaven to our generation, completely disconnected from history. Just as a map is helpful to a traveler, accurately depicting important roads and landmarks, creeds serve like, like maps to the word of God, helping us understand its teachings in comprehensive way. And that's what the creed is for us. And so what seems to be true is not true about this series. We're not preaching through the Apostles' Creed, but it'll be for us a roadmap. It will show us the landmarks of the Christian faith. So what's in it? What's in the Apostles' Creed? Let me read it for you. And line by line, here are the themes that we will be teaching on each week, actually, for the next 12 weeks. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. These are the landmarks to which it points. It shows us, the, the, it shows us what does it mean to believe in the teachings of Christ and his apostles that have been preserved for us. 
So the first thing we learn about this series that you should know is the Apostles' Creed is a, is a roadmap. It points us to these foundational truths in God's Word. So if you want to grow in those things, this series is for you. If you want to be strengthened and reminded, these things are for you. If you feel overwhelmed, saying, how do I sort it out? We're going to give you this concise way to understand what has God done, who is he, and what does the Bible teach. But second thing, I said there's something that appears true that's not. Well, there's something that appears not true that is, in fact, very true. And that is this. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone a theologian. Everyone's a theologian. Can that be true? Is it true? Is it true that, that a true expectation of all people that we are theologians? Theology is the, the knowledge of God, the learning of God, the study of God, and knowing God. Theology, even the word, or just the word, the, the vocation of theologian, it, it sounds like a lofty profession, doesn't it? Something that somebody gives their life, life to. A pursuit of study. It seems reserved for people with PhDs and positions at universities and seminaries. Is everyone a theologian? That's a question we need to ask. And is believing in God something that just happens in the mind or in the whole self? And what difference does a deep reflection on the things of God and knowing God and learning about God, what difference does it make in our life, if any at all? Those are the questions we're going to answer this morning. And so now we go to God's Word to answer these questions to see what God desires for us, to answer the questions of, is everyone a theologian and what difference does it make? We're going to be reading this morning from God's Word in Romans chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Romans chapter 1 with us. We'll be reading in verse 16. Here is what is written in God's Word. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves." because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Of course, when we're talking about theology, we're talking about knowing God and learning about God. That's what theology is. It's a study of God. And the number one sign that a person is truly interested in learning about God is that they're interested primarily in what God says about himself. I mean, think about this. If I came to you and said, I really, I want to get to know you more. I want to learn about you. I want to grow in relationship with you. Can we go out sometime? Can we go out for coffee and lunch? Because I want to get to know you. And then we sat down at that meeting and all I did was talk about myself. You've been in those, you've been in those conversations, I imagine. And you probably would leave feeling, he doesn't want to get to know me. Maybe he feels the pleasure of my company. Maybe he 
enjoys knowing that, that I'm in his life, but, but he doesn't want to get to know me. The number, one, the number one way we know that we're truly interested in God is if we listen to what he says about himself. And God has made himself known. He has revealed himself to us. One thing would be true. The only way that we could possibly know God is if God tells us. And God's word, God's word is evidence of and, and tells us that God has made himself known to us. You know, usually when we think about believing in God and uh, belief in God, theology of God, uh, we, we tend to look at the world, we look at people, and we categorize people in two main categories, pretty general categories, and that is this. There are people who believe in God, and there are people who don't believe in God. We call them believers and non-believers. But the Bible, if you notice, does not categorize people in this way. The Bible doesn't refer to people as believers and non-believers. Rather, the Bible says this, the categories that, that are there present in the Bible is that you either believe in the truth about God as it's been revealed, or you believe in lies. So the Bible is not saying there are people who believe and people who don't believe. The Bible says everyone believes. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone has a view of God. Even if your view of God is he doesn't, he doesn't exist, that itself is a belief about God. That itself is theology. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone has a view of God, even if that view is that he doesn't exist. You know, you've seen this play out in other areas of life other than theology. Someone might say, I don't believe in climate change. And I don't think that that's what they think I don't think that that's what they actually mean because, of course, people believe in climate change. I mean, it's raining today. It wasn't raining yesterday. The climate has changed, right? And so we, we believe that the, there's, there's change in climate. But what people mean when they say, I don't believe in climate change, is I don't believe, I don't believe that the claims about why it's changing to be true. Let's take something else. I've heard people say, I don't believe in marriage. Now, I, again, I don't believe that they think that that's what that means. Of course, they believe in marriage. They've probably been to a wedding. How could they say that I don't believe in marriage? They've probably been to a wedding. They might have been in a wedding. They may have been, been in a wedding themselves. What they're saying is I don't believe that the things the Bible says about marriage is true. Everyone has a belief about it. Did I touch on enough controversial topics? What else do you want to talk about? Vaccinations, essential oils, like homeschooling. What do you want to talk about? We can talk about it all. Uh, eating meat. Uh, everyone believes. Everyone Everyone is a believer. Everyone is a theologian. Here is the argument made in Scripture. No one can say that God does not exist. No one can say that, at least with any integrity at all. No one can say that God doesn't exist. Because why? He has made himself known. And he has done so in plain, obvious, right in front of our nose kind of ways. No one with any integrity can say God, there is no God. Because God has made himself known. There are certain things, if we just look out into the world, there are certain things we can learn about God. Namely, the scriptures tell us his power and nature. We can look at creation and say, I did not do this. There is creativity. There is a nature. There is a mover in this. There is a God that created this, and it wasn't me. And there is power. We see the power of creation. We see the power in, in, in the movement of the ocean. We feel the power in, in the midst of, of, of storms. His creativity, his order, his transcendence. One theologian has said, what comes into the mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. 
Are those things true things? True things that God has revealed about himself? Well, I like to think of God in this way. Has God revealed himself in that way? Or are you, are you deciding this is what God is like? The most important thing about us is what do we believe about God? We are all theologians. Men here, every single one of you, every single one of you is a theologian. The way that you father, the way that you love your wife if you're married, the way that you work, the way that you encourage and comfort, everything you do is demonstrating to the world what God is like. The question, is, the question isn't, are you a theologian? The question is, are the things that you are reflecting about God true things that he has revealed? Are the things that come into your mind when you think of God true things, or are they lies that you have believed because it has become more convenient, because you've been tempted by the culture, because you have substituted a truth about God and adopted a, a lie? Women here, ladies, every single one of you is a theologian by your identity of God's creation, of making you in his image, you are by birth a theologian. The way you work, the way that you speak, the way you serve, the way you encourage and comfort and build up others, all of it reveals what you believe to be true about God. Everything. Young ones, children, you are theologians by... by, by Merit of your birth and God's creation being made an image. Children, you are theologians. The way you work in your studies, in your school, the way that you keep your chores, the way that you play with your friends, all of that reveals what it is you believe about God to be true. And so the category is not there are some theologians and there are other people. The categories are we're all theologians, but what do we believe? Is it true? And the only way we can know it is true is if God has revealed it to us. Everyone believes something about God. A lot of it may not be true. Here's the next question that, you know, we answer the question, am I a theologian or are all theologian? Is everyone a theologian? Uh, I want to move quickly through this one. I really want to get to the, the last thing so that it will stick with us as we go from here. But here's the next question. Is believing in God something that just happens in the mind or with the whole self? And I think you know the answer is in the question there uh, by the, even the way it's worded. Um, reciting the Apostles' Creed doesn't make anyone a Christian. Uh, knowing truths about the Bible doesn't make anyone a Christian. Uh, here's how the a passage addresses the topic of believing in God. What Paul is saying is this, it's possible to believe God with our minds and believe true things about God, but it's also possible to substitute true things for lies, resulting in darkened hearts, and that causes people to suppress the truth even further, which results in a life that is lived not for God, for his praise and, and glory, but rather for ourselves. What Paul says in verse 21 and 22 should make all of us pause and really think about what this says, where he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. God reveals himself to the world as creator and sustainer of all things. There is a God who is, and no one has an excuse because God has made himself known. And instead of giving thanks to God for being creator and sustainer, the world says, I will not thank him. I will not thank him. What has God given me that I could not get for myself? People today and people always do not want to admit 
that everything that we have and even the breath in our lungs is from God and God only. And the only thing keeping us alive is the mercy and power of God. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to admit that, we're de- that we are dependent fully on God. We don't like to admit that, that there is no hope in life without God giving it to us. There is no, no one wants to admit that the only way to true, lasting happiness is something that we can never do for ourselves. We want to admit that we can create those things, that we can, we can sub, the, through the substance of our own life and accomplishments, that we can have the life that we always desire. No one wants to admit that we can never be the people we were created to be apart from God and His grace. But that is how God has revealed Himself. And that is the truth of it. And instead of giving praise and thanks to God for who He is and what He has done, we suppress the truth. We believe a lie. And we reorient our life around that. Around a God who doesn't exist. But now before you start thinking of the people in your life who are exactly like that, Paul wants us to actually see something about ourselves. Paul says that we are all like this in some way. We have been like this and we are continue to be like this in some way. <clears throat> we have all believed wrong things about God. Every single one of us. <clears throat> to some degree, we have all been and continue to be in some degree unbelievers. Because the categories are not in the scriptures believers and unbelievers. And once you get into the camp of believers, then you're safe from being an unbeliever. The categories are not that. The categories are are believing true things and believing lies. And in that way, all of us are unbelievers to some extent. Believing lies about God, reorienting our lives around things for our own comfort, suppressing the truth. We've all substituted the truth about God for a lie in order to serve our agendas. But here, he doesn't just tell us what true faith is. He actually, he, he tells us what it means. He tells us what it means to truly believe. Much more than believing certain doctrines about God, to truly believe is to live in a relation of commitment to God in trust and union. You know, when we say, I believe in God, we are bowing our lives to his claims in the Bible to rule and manage everything in our life. To say, I believe in God, Paul says, is not simply to, 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 to assent intellectually to certain truths about God, but to say, I believe in God. And the purpose of the creed to say, I believe in God, is to say what God has revealed about himself, I now give my life to those things in humble reliance, trust, and dependence on him. So when the Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I believe, we're not simply say, I admit these things to be factual, but I am ordering my entire life around these things, bowing my life to Jesus and relying on the promise for him to bless me and keep me in the love of God forever. I recited the Apostles' Creed to you, and you may have heard those words and read them on the screen and say, oh, wow, I'm already there. Wow, this is going to be an easy series. I could teach this series. Maybe you didn't think that, but you probably thought this is nothing earth-shattering and groundbreaking. Yes, it is. To believe that, to submit to that, to orient your entire life around that, to bow your entire life, that's what it means to believe. 
oh, I believe these things. I'm just having a hard time living them. You don't believe those things. If you stand on the edge of a dock and look at a boat and say, I believe this boat to be seaworthy. I believe that this boat is strong and will not sink, but refuse to get in the boat. You have shown your faith. You have shown your belief. You do not believe in those things. To test of genuine faith is to stand at the dock and say, this boat has integrity to it and trustworthiness. And I'm going to give my life, I'm going to put my life in this boat. That's belief. That's what Paul says is belief. Belief is not just in the mind. It happens with the whole life overflowing from the heart into habits and into confessions. The same is true when it comes to belief in what God has revealed about himself in the Bible. Do you believe what God has said? Or have you believed a lie? Many lies. Last question, and here's what I want to get to to last for us today. What difference does believing true things about God make, if at all? I mean, what's the point of this all? Why discuss it all if it doesn't make any difference? If it doesn't make any difference if we believe lies or believe truths, why talk about it at all? Here's something Paul does. In the midst of the most complex intellectual philosophical book written by Paul, the book of Romans, Paul gets incredibly personal and candid. Paul is a theologian of the sharpest kind. He even admits that. He says, no one's smarter than me when it comes to knowing theology. And he shows us in the book of Romans in its complexity and its artistic beauty and its deep deep things about God and what he has done, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. He's talking like a little kid now. Like this is like a brilliant scholar, PhD, many, many degrees. And he says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God for salvation because what, is God, what God has revealed to me isn't just information. God hasn't revealed to me just a laundry list of things that I need to believe. He hasn't given to me a grocery list of habits that I need to submit to. He has revealed something else to me that fills my mind and my heart. God hasn't just revealed stuff about himself. He's revealed revealed so much more. You see, creation can show us so much. And that's what Paul talks about. He says, creation can show you so much. But God has shown me so much more than that. And before I get to that, here's what creation can show us. Creation can show us certain things about God, enough for us to learn of God's power and certain things in his nature, that we're not like him, that he's not like us, that he is transcendent, that he's powerful, that it is from him that we gain all of our meaning and purpose in life itself. Those are things we can learn about God. But creation can't tell us one thing, many things really. Creation can't tell us that we are loved by that God. You see, creation can tell us that God is real, but it can't tell us what God thinks about us. Creation can't teach us that he loves us. No one will ever find the love of God by looking at creation alone. No one goes into creation and say, I just feel loved by God. At least that's not my experience. I go into creation and feel very small. I go into creation in its beauty and its majesty, and I, and I, and I see a God that is huge. Just last week, we went to... Uh, we took a trip to, to go to the snow. We went on the backside of Mount Lemmon. We wanted to take our desert kids to the snow. 
And we, we drove up there, and it was a great drive, a beautiful drive. I'm taking, you know, pictures, and, and, and you know, those pictures that you take, and you're like, this is beautiful. And then you look at it, and you're like, doesn't look beautiful. You know, I'm not going to share this with anybody. But the, the scenery, the snow-capped mountains. And we find, we go up into the hills, and we find this place that was untouched by humans. No foot traffic, pure snow, beautiful, away from all, the, all other people. We took our kids there, and we were excited about getting in the snow and having a good time untouched. No one knew it was there. And then I look across and I see these huge paw prints with huge claws attached to these paw prints. And my wife is like, it's just a dog. And I'm like, then it's the dog from the sandlot. Because this is like, this is not a dog. This is a beast. (laughs) And then we look around at several trees in this area. And at the base of each tree was yellow snow. And here this beast is, is marking his territory. This space belongs to me. Nature is beautiful. Nature can even be serene. Nature is awe-inspiring, but nature will rip your face off (laughs) if you are not careful. No one looks at nature and says, I want to hug and cuddle with it. No one says nature expresses the love of God who has been in a hurricane, who's been capsized on a boat who has been in the middle of a thunderstorm, who has experienced an earthquake. It's looking at a bonfire and feeling its warmth and power, but never feeling the impulse to jump in and to be a part of it. You stand, there's something about creation and God's creation that shows us the power and beauty, creativity of God, but not his love. We don't see his love. In fact, Paul says it's actually the wrath of God is what we see. The wrath of God is being poured out, is being expressed on the wickedness of mankind. You will never find the love of God by looking at nature alone. And Paul says creation can tell you about God's power to create and power to destroy, but creation will never be able to tell you about God's power to save. But God does reveal to us his power to save. There is only one place There is only one place that we can go where we can see God's power to save and God's God's desire to love. It is the revelation of the gospel. This is what Paul says. He says it is the God reveals to everyone certain things about himself. But what I have seen revealed from God is his power to save. The good news of the righteousness of God that is revealed. That's what he says in verse 17. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, from first to last. And all through, it is the righteousness of God. He is revealing it to us. What he's talking about is the good news of Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to know God, if you want to believe true things about God, you have to look at the cross of Jesus. There is no other way to know God and to know him truly without knowing Jesus. If you believe in God, the way he has revealed himself to us in the Bible, you will see that he is holy, powerful, and demanding of perfect righteousness. And the gospel will show us the same God, so loving, that he is willing to come and die for us and give us the gift of his love. If you want to see and believe true things about God, which I believe everybody does, no one says, I want to believe the lies. Where are the lies? 
Everyone says, I want to believe the true things about God. But if you really want to know the true things about God, you have to ask God, who are you? What have you done? And what is true? Just like that illustration with the friend. If you want to know a friend, you have to say, what makes you tick? What are your hopes and dreams this year? What are your wounds? What makes you cry? And when we ask those things of God, he shows us his holiness. He shows us his perfect demand for righteousness. And he shows us how short we have fallen of it. And he shows us that we are deserving of God's wrath and punishment. But the wrath that is poured out isn't poured out on us. It is poured out on his son, Jesus. If you want to know true things about God, you have to see Jesus. And when you begin to know this, and only when you begin to know this, only then will you begin to know God. You will not know God rightly without knowing what he has done in Jesus and why he's done it. The creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Bible both call us not to a belief in general. My hope for you and the, and the Scripture's hope and the creed's hope is not just believe something. Be a people of belief. Have a, be a people of faith. Believe in something higher than yourself. That is not the aim. The purpose is to believe in something specific a faith that is particular, a faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, so much so that you would believe into it, that you would have faith into it, that you would, that you would cast your entire life on it, that you would order your entire life around the things that have been revealed. That's when you know you truly want to know God, the God who is real. If you want to know God, but you do, are un, you're unwilling to submit your life to the things that he has revealed, then you are creating for yourself a God that does not exist. You are, as the Bible says, believing a lie. The Bible says you think that you're smart, but you're actually, you're actually wrong. You think you have found a way that works, but you're actually dead in sin. This is what it means to believe. This is what it means to believe the gospel. And it will influence your entire life. It'll influence every fabric of your existence when you believe these things and believe them in your heart. Let me ask, is there an area in your life where you are currently unwilling to take God at his word? Is there an area of your life where you are currently unwilling to cast your entire life on the things that God has revealed about himself? for whatever reason. And maybe some of those reasons are blind to you, and often they are. They're called blind spots for a reason. We can't see them. That's why we need, we need God's Word to speak into our life. We need people to speak Scripture into our life. We need to ask people in our life, are there areas of my life where I'm unwilling to submit my life to what God has said? Are you willing to even ask that question of people? That will show that you really have an interest in knowing a God who is real rather than knowing a God that you've created in your own mind, a God who just serves your purposes. What are the motivations that cause us to do these things? They could be many. Fear of ridicule, fear of alienation from others, loss of comfort, some other deep motive that maybe has not been discovered in your own heart. That's usually what happens is we don't know. We don't know why we do the things that we do. Our hearts have become have become deceived and blinded and hardened. Strong faith understands what God really has done for us and promised to us in a troubled world, in the midst of a world that has, that has substituted true things about God for lies. God's word gives, gives us an anchor. 
gives us true things in the midst of a troubled world and a troubled heart and troubled experiences that we have in our own life, God's word gives us solid ground to stand on. He is trustworthy. And it's not belief in general. It is particular faith and belief in what Jesus has done for us. To move from doubt to faith in that area is an act of praise and thanksgiving to God. That's where we're going in this series. That's where we've gone even in this sermon as we've looked at Romans 1. This is where we're going. Our hope is not that we would just believe things in our mind. Our hope is that in knowing God and seeing what He has revealed to us as true, we would offer praise and thanksgiving to Him with our entire life and therefore giving evidence of the true faith that we confess. How do we know our faith is genuine? We believe the things that God has said to us and live as if we do. Praise and thanksgiving to God who created us, loved us, loves us still, and has stopped at nothing to save us. Let's pray.